Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, how nice to see you, and how nice to see so many of you. Um, I have the great privilege this afternoon of being able to talk to Helen, an actress whose work I have admired for, well, actually quite a lot of years. Since she, I don't, you know, I don't want to put a number on it, but <laughs> she came to the National Theatre a number of years ago to play Nina. Uh, in a production of The Seagull, which, um, personally, I greatly loved and admired. And it was a rather classy cast, wasn't it? It was. It was my third job, and I had a phone call from my agent, who, uh, this is how long ago it was, my agent, who at the time when I was being offered film, kept saying, no, you mustn't do that. You mustn't do that, darling. That's for people who can't act. You've got to learn. <laughs> you've got to learn first before... Or no, for people who really can act, you know, you've got to learn your craft before you stand in front of a camera because if you're terrible, it might take me 10 years to get you another job. So I had a phone call to say that to come down and audition at the National for John Caird. And um, I got the job and I sat in rehearsals for 10 weeks with Judy Dench and Bill Nye and Edward Petherbridge and Anna Corder Marshall. So not scary at all then? Not scary at all. <laughs> they were so welcoming and just learnt and just watched. And I was so shocked because Judy Dench was so giggly and anarchic and didn't take it at all seriously. And of course, you know, I was 20 and had been trained at Drama Centre and very, very earnest. And came with all my books about Stanislavski and Cherry at Orchard and had read everything. And she used to come in every morning and go, ooh, morning butcher. And I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it was rude. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and it was, a, it, was a, it, was, it was here. And then I went on to do another seven plays at the National playing Leeds. Yeah. Which was really my training for the next four years. Yeah. And um, so really, you kind of own the place, don't you? Really? Really? Yeah. Well, it, it means that it's so lovely coming yeah. back now. Yes. Because, um, you know, Bob Cross, who is our stage manager here, who every night before, I don't know, have lots of people seen the play? Or, yes, actually, know. I should have asked you that. How many have already seen it? Gosh, nearly all of you. And how many are going to see it shortly? Yes, as I said to another audience, the rest of you. So um, <laughs> that's everybody then, isn't it, one way or another? But uh, yeah. yeah. So it means that before I, 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 just before it starts, there's a moment that they're, they're doing various things backstage, and Bob will look at me, and I put my thumb up, and he'll go, go, go tell him who's boss, girl. And she, and he, was the man that I used to play football with before Trelawney of the Wells and my Dot Martins, who, which have now come back into fashion 20 years later, um, here. So it's, it, it feels like home, and stage door, uh, uh, still sitting there, and, you know... Um, Different same stage people, door, same people. Same mm. people, and, you know, Elise, who is, who's my dresser, who dressed Judy Dench then, that made me suddenly feel like I must be a lead actress now, because I get Elise. Um, so it's a whole family here that are extraordinarily talented and crafted. So Well, it's interesting you use the word family, because I think it would be safe to say that Medea is a character for whom family is quite complicated. Would yes. that be fair? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Okay. That's no spoiler so for the 12 <laughs> that haven't seen it. No. So just tell us a bit about... I mean, in this, in this now 
really impressively extensive career which has taken in film and television, despite what your agent said, you got to film and television, and a lot of theatre. There is a moment in your life, I suppose, as an actor, where certain roles become possible or come suddenly into focus. Was it like that with Medea, or did it creep up on you in a different way? Had, did you already have a relationship with her before you decided to do it here, or...? No, I'd never read it, and I, I'd never seen it. Um, and uh, when I was phoned up, I was very thrilled because it sounded wonderful. It always sounds wonderful if they say you're playing, you know, the title of the play. <laughs> always wakes you up and pays special attention at that first reading of the play. And um, I thought, fantastic. Absolutely no way. It's going to kill me. Um, it's a very harrowing piece. And um, I, as I said earlier, was, was one of the trainings. I went to a place called the Drama Center, and they taught you about 10 or 11 different disciplines. But one of them was very much you, everything that can stimulate your uh, imagination to become the character. You know, never assume this person is anything like you. You must research the period. You must research the author. You must research the condition. You must, you must do this. This is your job because you will be sitting night after night in front of people that may be far closer to this character than you, and it is your duty to speak for them, you know. Um, and, uh, and so I started doing all my work and, and looking at Medea and learnt to, decided that I was going to have to learn to act in a very different way for this job. Okay. Because it is a, a, it is a very harrowing role. And, um, and I realised if I just pretended that it was me, that it, uh, you know, it, it's not therapy acting, it's a, mm. it's, you know, it's a job. So, um, yeah, I decided to do it and I decided to, to teach myself to act in a different way. Okay, well, that, well, that's an extremely interesting way of describing what your process is because it, it implies that you have many choices as an actor, which I indeed I think all great actors do, um, but that you make them in a very... Uh, discerning way relative to each character, um, but can you can you explain a little bit more about what you mean when you say I had to teach myself to act in a different way, different from what, and in order to do what? Um, so normally, if I was to get a script, so for instance with this, I'd read everything I can get my hands on about Greek tragedy about Greece at the time, to understand the society that had been watching it, who would have been performing it, what did Euripides mean at the end when she's taken off in a golden chariot? Why doesn't she, as most women who... Uh, I, I'm going to tell you, because the nurse tells you three minutes into it, mm. kills her children. Mm. Uh, they usually commit suicide afterwards. You know, why had he chosen to do this? And, and, and you try and, and just educate yourself as much as you possibly can. I talked to psychotherapists, therapists, about people who had spoken to people who had um, murdered their children, um, and those who had been insane, and those who had been sane. Um, it's very important that Medea's sane. Um, and, um, but then normally, having done all this, I, as Helen, would say, these are my previous circumstances in the scene, this is what my character wants. These are my actions, which means this is what I'm going to do to the other character in the scene in order to get what I want. 
And then within that structure, you play it live, night to night, because if you don't, the audience will sniff it out and you're bored and you're paying lots of money not to be bored. So, um, and that would be the normal structure that I'd work in. But this, I have two children, and I just knew that I could not honestly stand and say, I will kill my children and mean it and believe it because the hour, you know, it's supposed to be an hour, 21 minutes, not seven hours as I get over that thought. And I'm not Medea, I'm Helen. So I learned to separate myself from the character. And it turns out, I don't know if anyone notices the difference. So for 22 years, um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it only comes from laziness because it's just easier to believe than pretend, you know. I don't, I don't think it's at all likely to come from laziness, but, it's, but since you've touched on the issue of, of being yourself the mother of, of two children, I, th I think one of each gender, no? Yes, yes rather right. than Rather than two boys, but even so, close enough. Um, yeah. that, that process of separating yourself... Uh, is presumably um, a matter of technique. It's a matter of actually engaging your brain and making it not take you where you don't want to go as a, as a performer in some way. Yeah, I think that the technique is, is you're just trying to walk the knife edge all the time. So, of course, every moment of the play, I, I, I will be aware... Uh, I haven't been speaking over here. I now need to speak over there. That person hasn't had my thought. Can you hear me on that line? All of those things, you know, is this blocking, uh, making the audience understand the relationship that should be happening on stage, and at the same time, you're in it. So it's that constant balance of those two things. And walking on the life edge, because I've also, I remember seeing a, a somebody uh, a, fi a fine actor years ago who I thought was brilliant but I thought he was going through it and none of the audience enjoyed it as a result that actually and, and it is a technique you see it uh, I don't know if anyone saw um, Two Governors yeah. there's a brilliant moment in it sorry excuse me if you haven't but there's a wonderful moment in it that the actor starts chatting to a member of the audience and you think it's real and it works in comedy but if you do that mm in tragedy, you unnerve the audience. And it is a technique, you go off voice and you suddenly start speaking like this as, as if now this is how I'm really talking. And this was just that, you know, and it's all, it's all technique, but you will actually make the audience now feel uncomfortable because you think, Christ, I'm watching a breakdown. I don't want to be watching a breakdown. I'm supposed to be watching Euripides, Ben Powers, you know, mm. Medea. But, there, there is that within, the, within this play in particular and within a, a lot of um, powerful, obviously particularly tragic um, work, which requires that at certain moments you produce an emotional charge from within yourself using the text and your, and your physical presence, which actually does have a staggeringly um, uh, um, startling impact on the audience when it's working. And one of the things which I think I would say about, about you having watched your performances over the years is that you appear to be extraordinarily fearless as a performer, that, that, that we as an audience sense that, you know, 
you are dangerous, that you might go somewhere we are not expecting. And, and yet that's always within a controlled awareness of all of those things that you've just been describing. Now, that's a very clever trick. How do you do that? Um, I think I have an innate trust of people. I think I'm very lucky that I had a very secure upbringing, which means I am not scared of, of um, going to places in my psyche because actually I've got a very safe place to go to. I don't think if I hadn't got children, I would have played Medea. Um, and therefore, it allows you to go to those places because basically I'm terribly boring and quite happy in life. And it is true, you know. Um, the, yeah. Anyway, so, um, so I think it's that. And I also think that I think that I am constantly amazed by people's capacity for empathy. Um, uh, I, you don't have to look very far particularly doing this play, there's moments when they're talking about exile. Mm. And you think about, you, you can't even think about those images that we're all having mm. at the moment. It's overwhelming for most of us, and we don't know how to compute it, and, we don't, and there's, no, there's no easy, oh, well, if I was in power, I'd do that. You know, it's just it's devastating what's happening in the world, and I just think that um, if you can just touch those, those, those m moments... We're so safe and we're so lucky to be able to do it in a it, it, like this, but it does release something, and I think it's um, I think it's your job to. Yeah, there's something about getting an audience to make those connections for itself, isn't there? Rather than actually holding their hand every step of the way, you give yes. the, you give them something yeah. which then you don't want to come around it. with a plastic bag around you, you know. But um, yeah. Yeah. So. One of the other things that struck me um, watching, watching you, sorry, I am one of those people who has seen the show, so apologies to those of you who have not yet, though you have a great treat in store. I, I was very interested in the... Um, this is going to sound so trivial, but let's go for it. Um, in the clothes, because there is something about actors and the clothes they wear, or the costumes, depends what you're doing, really, whether they're clothes or costumes, doesn't it? Um, and the external reality that those represent, that is clearly very significant quite often. And you, no doubt, have been in, in situations where you've been asked to wear something you didn't feel all right about. Most performers have at some point. I was just wondering about that, that creation of Medea's look was something that you co-created and if so, how involved were you in making choices? I mean, that, yes. some, I of, mean, some I of it's very, very beautiful, very dramatic, and some of it is very street. Yeah. I, I, I was... As, as soon as, as, soon as um, somebody says Medea to me, immediately I have... Oh, I had this image. Marvellous costume, perhaps <laughs> with a gold wig, definitely a lot of jewellery, fine makeup, beautiful lighting, wonderful. Uh, and, and uh, it turned out that the script was nothing to do with that, which was an awful shame. And, um, and she's, she talks at the beginning about the fact that she's completely disenfranchised, and, um, uh, and it was very hard to marry those images with 
how we think of, of Medea and the more uh, we looked at it because I, I've been very lucky actually I've never I, I have never had a costume designer tell me what to wear um, m maybe that's because of how I work and that's one thing I learned from watching you know Judy Dench all those years mm. ago she asked questions and now I've learned you know you are as good as the people you work with or you know ask everybody you know my, my I'm, my Medea came out of every single person in that rehearsal room and every person in that costume department and just listening to and taking what they said. And we looked at um, the idea that she was wearing some of Jason's clothes, oh. that there was an idea that she hadn't released, she hadn't let go um, of his smell, of him, and that, that the more Tom and Carrie were coming up with, with the chorus because... The, that was very much formulated in rehearsals, everything. There were, the set, obviously, is pre-decided, but nothing else, really. And as they, as the women had decided they were becoming more and more um, conventional, uh, it was important to try and make her look more other. Um, I would have liked to have made her even more other, but we had five weeks. We, we, we ran out of rehearsals. And apparently, henna tattoo all over my face is distracting. <laughs> and um, um, they're, they're so wrong. It would have so worked. But anyway, um, and so I, I wanted this idea that she has turned into something that you're not used to um, and then becomes the Medea once she knows what she's doing. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested if... I have talked to the designer, actually, about maybe doing something different with a costume at the beginning. I wonder if it tells a story. I like always changing and developing and listening to the audience. I'll often ask audience when I come back outside certain questions, and they'll tell you. Can I take you back off the back of what you've just said to something you said earlier, and which has been discussed in a couple of other platforms that you haven't been involved in, but which have been about Medea, which is this issue about whether Medea is, as it were, mad or bad, uh, or neither of those things. And you said very firmly that it was important that Medea was sane, uh, which is a, a strong view, and not one that has always been shared about her uh, by critics and commentators and people who've played her, indeed. Um, I just wondered whether that was a view that was immediately clear to you when you read the script for the first time, or whether it's one that you came to in the process of learning about her and presenting her. Um, that was uh, that was def that was absolutely instinctive when I read it for the first time. One of the questions that was um, brought up originally was whether she should be in a straitjacket at the end of the play. That she and I very much didn't want that. I didn't think that. Uh, she was insane at all. I think she is driven to a desperate and wicked act. But um, you know, there is a Medea law, which the uh, Greek translation literally is, I understand what I am about to do, but anger, uh, uh, and we have no English word for it apparently, militarily defeats me, and I will do it anyway. And it's now still ar argued in court as premeditated murder without insanity. So I just kind of felt that if British legal system was being taken by it, it was quite important that I got it in the play. And, um, and also because 
although grief, from what I understand, does cause chemical imbalance, whether it is, you know, death of a spouse or, this, you know, being left by Jason having murdered, having had all these, um, this very traumatic upbringing, it might bring it all back, that that sort of chemical imbalance might make her emotionally extreme, but she was, she's intellectually clear, cunning, manipulative, all the way through in order to get what she wants. And I think, so yes, so it was very instinctive. But you touch, you touch then just in passing on the fact that she's, uh, she has got form. Yeah. She's done this before. She's killed a member of her own family and been, uh, and, and, and been um, pretty ruthless in uh, getting and going after what she wants at, at the cost of all her key relationships. What did you feel about about that history when you came to think about the act, the the, the, the seminal act in the in the play? I, th I think I think you're absolutely right. I think it's so important that she's that she has got form. Um, in Ben Powers' um, uh, script, we don't know why. Uh, what actually happens is that when Jason comes. And she falls in love with Jason and she decides to help him to get the golden fleece and we hear that she gives him an ointment and da 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 and she obviously has these m mythical powers um, that, and she, he agrees to marry her and they escape, she escapes with her brother and when the father chases them, she cuts the brother, not out of an act of brutality but because the only way she stops the Argonauts Jason and Hercules and herself being caught is that the course the father has to stop to pick up the body because like many religions they believe unless the body lies together the soul cannot rest in peace so this is why so to me what that told me was an idea of tribe that I am on your side and once I've switched sides and now I'm on your side and now I am on Jason's side I'm with you I will do all these things to be with you. So to be betrayed by that with a woman with such a strong sense of loyalty, which helped me then understand her extreme reaction to, um, to what he had done because it was an anathema to her disloyalty. Yes, it's a, it's a curious contradiction though, isn't it? Because you could say that the greatest act of disloyalty that, that she commits is the disloyalty to her own family, whom she has abandoned and indeed um, in the case of one of them killed so so the idea that you can change sides as it were isn't unfamiliar to her no uh, well but I've got to play this tonight Jenny um, <laughs> uh, yes but on another point of uh, Ben Powers marvelous yeah. you know, um, uh, when she kills the sons, it is with a belief that if she does not, and in fact Euripides was the first writer to make Medea kill the boys, usually the boys are killed by Jason and, and Creon's henchmen. So yes, the decision is to kill Creusa, but ergo she knows as soon as she has done that, her boys will be butchered, and as she said, okay. I am the mother it is better, well, I can't say it, but, mm, but mm, anyway. Mm. Um, 
And yes, mm. so, so, and the idea that they were going to be resting in peace. I mean, there was then a, uh, a temple outside um, Athens that people would go to pray to the children of Medea, as mm. you were talking about only mm. yesterday or the day before. Um, with I, Edith, yes. Yeah. I sat and listened to all of them. Ah, oh, did you? Right I wondered the back, if you were like out that, there. in my yes. little mad wig. Yeah. <laughs> like um, yeah. Well, well, the reason that I asked you that question about about her, you know, where she's come from and what she's been capable of, uh, which I'm, I know you have thought about, is that actually um, one of the things that you often hear performers say about the characters they play is that it's important for them that they do not judge the character they're playing, no matter how appalling that character's behaviour might be, how dysfunctional their relationships with other people or how atrocious their acts um, nonetheless you have to retain some measure of uh, I'm not sure what the right word is perhaps empathy would be the right word and it must be it's a bit of a tough ask in a way isn't it with a character like Medea not to judge her because we've spent 2,000 years judging her more than that many more than that uh, and I think it is probably the most heinous crime yeah I think it's the most incomprehensible crime to kill your own children. Um, and in, you know, that, that we still don't understand it. I mean, that's why the play exists, as you say, two and a half thousand years later. Mm. We still watch it and we still, our jaws drop because how can anybody do it? And yet it's being done. We know it's, it's Euripides mm. was so accurate it's usually highly educated women usually with the first usually happens within 14 days in Euripides version it's seven days after Jason has left they usually kill the boys they often leave the girls um, the only difference is they don't they usually kill themselves and Euripides I think allows Medea at the end to escape because uh, as an Athenian audience of men watching um, it was a great, of course, you know, tale of make sure how you treat your slaves and your women. So I think it was something like 240, say, were in Athens. Say 40,000 were Athenian free men. The rest were slaves and women who were supporting, of course, the society. Be careful how you treat them. One of them may be a goddess. So it was absolutely about how to rule mm. um, effectively, not necessarily kindly, but effectively. So it's um so how do, how did I mean what 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 relationship do you have to the idea of Medea's semi divinity? I mean it's quite an odd thing, isn't it? There's this woman who's who we can recognise, but somehow the the this is again very trivial, but the kind of get out of jail free card that she has is that she's divine, and it's it's a curious. Um, it, it, it's a curious way of resolving what is what you would expect in a play of this kind, which would be that the person who perpetrated the outrage would themselves then be uh, killed. Yeah. But it doesn't happen, does it, in the day? Um, no, as I said, because I, I, I think that Euripides chose not to because it should mm. be a warning tale to his audience. And the whole idea of feeling special. Often we know this is linked with people who have been through very extreme acts. 
soldiers coming back. We know now from the Iraq or Afghanistan, often um, uh, there was a case the other day about a man who'd smashed a shop window and there was a feeling afterwards that nobody else understood what he'd been through. Mm. He's probably absolutely right. Um, but that idea of feeling special, you know, she has, she has killed her own brother for this man. She has crossed a line. And that idea um, of being of a chosen race, I don't know, I'm half Scots, half Welsh, that comes quite naturally to me. <laughs> to be honest, I listen to Bread of Heaven quite often before I go on to just jeer myself up. Um, I, uh, I, I think most people feel they're quite special, don't they? Sometimes. In, yes, yeah. in, in maybe in, in, in very extreme moments yeah. of, uh, I think it's all to do with justification of what she's doing, actually. Mm. I don't know how much she would have talked about the sun-god race before this until you're humiliated and you come from the most, I mean, black, the Black Sea, where I come, well, Medea comes from, is the most beautiful, lush, full of, you know, I say I'd get the rarest flowers of our homeland. It is, it is a paradise full of butterflies and birds. You know, the, the golden fleece came there because the gold is washed down from the mountains and the shepherds would take the fleeces and wash them in the streams and, of course, it would catch the gold dust. And then when they would weave it, it the lanonin wouldn't scar their hands like it normally would have to be treated. And this was the secret of the Golden Fleece. This is where they thought, you know, well, the Pandora's box that has the shirt that, you know, burns the skin. And these people were great chemists and physicians. And she comes from this extraordinarily sophisticated background and is brought to this dusty shithole, surrounded by peasants, and is told that she has no place in the world. And you're absolutely... I, understand her mm. outrage to this. It is very misogynist, bigoted society that because she's a foreigner and because she's a woman, um, she has no place here and is just exiled and left to starve. I'm afraid that that is all we have time for because we have to let her go. I know we could have gone on for at least another hour, probably two, and there would have been as many questions to come as we've already had, but... All I can now do, I'm afraid, is to thank you very much for coming, but in particular to thank Helen, who has been the most wonderful guest, just as she is the most wonderful Medea. Thank you. Thank you.